1: to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. How's your week going? Are you working at the moment? Are you walking the dog? Are you sitting on a beach, drowning out the noise of the kids? Either way, welcome back. It's great to have you with us. I've just gone away to Mallorca actually for a family holiday and raring to go for the final quarter of the year. We've got loads of exciting plans for Sporting Edge with lots of international keynote speeches planned and also lots of clients plugging our digital content into their own leadership and learning plans. So that's all to look forward to. Thanks to everyone who's connected on LinkedIn over the last few weeks as well. It's been great to meet you and thanks for your kind words about the show. It's great to read your messages and hear that it's making a difference. It makes all the effort worthwhile. This week, I wanted to showcase one of the high performance interviews from our digital platform that comes from the performing arts. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm fascinated about researching all these different cultures, whether it's the military Uh, academia, business, elite sport, trying to find these clues about high performance and trying to join them together so that they're useful for our own environments. So today's packed with those. So let's get straight into the insights from Bernard Patois, who for almost 25 years has been one of the senior figures at Cirque du Soleil, looking after their casting, all the innovation around their acrobats and the infrastructure and the medical support they need, and of course the coaching. He initially trained in physical education and then became a world-class gymnastic coach before he moved to Cirque. Have you ever been to one of their shows? I've been so lucky to go to the Albert Hall in London three times and every time I feel like I've left a, a different person with complete inspiration. The set, the music, the costumes are all so impressive but you get to see some of the world's most creative artists contorting, bouncing and flying through the air. It really is a spectacle. And these are incredible athletes. So I wondered if Bernard thought these performers had a natural gift or if it was other factors that were generating their success.
0: I don't necessarily buy the notion of talent as being inherited. Um, in, In the field that I work with, I would say that the majority of people that we're working with have gone through years, years, years of trials and error, uh, failure, uh, difficulties, and they've they've learned uh, through that journey um, with a lot of passion and sometimes with obsession. Jugglers, as an example, could juggle five, six hours a day Trying to learn that specific, uh, specific trick, and they will not give up unless they get it. So, uh, in, in the artistic world at large, if I, if I separate, let's see, the sport background of some of them for, for, for a moment, um, going outside the, the zone of comfort, trying new things, is part of an artistic endeavor, it's part of the journey. So these people will always look for something different, something new, uh, and they will—they will definitely expose themselves um, regularly. They will push themselves regularly from an artistic perspective.
1: So that mirrors so much of the content around the growth mindset that Carol Dweck started where tenacity and continual improvement are the dominant driving force when somebody has the talent. Now, of course, you need that natural talent. Some of those contortionists must have double jointed hips or something. So there's definitely a physical filter. No matter how many repetitions and how much hard work I put in with my concrete hamstrings, there's absolutely no chance of me dropping down with my ankles around my ears. But overall, It sounds like that obsession with mastering the tiny improvements on a daily basis is the key to delivering excellence from Bernard's experience. And that's what we see in the shows. So this is a lifelong quest to be the best in the world at your particular specialism. One of the things that I love about Cirque du Soleil is that the individual performers aren't recognised as individual iconic stars like they are in music or sport. So I was interested to hear how that teamship was created across the organization.
0: Our show um, is the star. And everybody will try to do the best of their ability to contribute to make sure that the show is giving what it's supposed to deliver. Okay, and and, and meet the expectation of the spectator. Obviously, it's human, right? So I would be dishonest not saying that there is an intern desire to be really good that night and the next act they will try the same thing and et cetera and et cetera. And it will be it, it will create that sort of, I would say, intern competition, but for the benefit of the show at large as a whole.
1: So it sounds like there's a bit of competitive friction, which is where the performers are rubbing against each other to try and outshine each other. But they never go too far. And that compromises the experience for the audience. So this is a healthy sparring that makes sure everyone in the organisation and everyone in the show is at their best. They're all driving the standards up and rather trying to avoid being the one who makes the mistakes on a particular evening. You're the one who's trying to deliver your very, very best, almost aiming for perfect execution. And while we accept that that's unrealistic because it's a live show, not a scientific experiment, you know, things change, timings, distances. We've got to stay in the moment and stay present. But just that willingness and that ambition to try and be The best in the show is probably something that lifts everyone's performance and as a result gives the audience an incredible evening. So you can almost picture the scene. You've got these incredible athletes and acrobats flying around the stage and across the high wires. And I was really interested to see what kind of climate the coaches and artistic directors created around the performers. Was it all about supporting these thoroughbreds to be the very best they could be? supporting
0: yes but not taking the responsibilities that should be taken by the artist or the acrobat in other words in ensuring that yes we will give the the the, the proper environment yes we'll take care of of, you know the 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 working condition equipment and and the surrounding resources either be in my case providing good therapists providing good and specialized coaches uh, but ensuring that we're transmitting a message that we're not doing the job for the artist they have a responsibility and they have an accountability uh, on on a one end and then also challenging artists regularly uh, by asking them question in, in, in their own self-evaluation and how far they, they've gone that night or how far they could go. Uh, because the idea is not to repeat, uh, you know, a sort of a cut and paste type of show. Uh, it's, it's, it's to be present. It's to be there, totally engaged and fully responsible of of their uh, interaction with the public.
1: So I love the way this is dialed up around accountability and ownership. I remember when the stories came back of England winning the Rugby World Cup that Clive Woodward had said, we need the best hotels, the best training conditions, the best kit, everything, so that there's no excuses and everyone can just focus on taking accountability for delivering world-class performance. And I think this sounds similar We've got everything being provided from a coaching, technical equipment and a medical and sort of recovery therapy perspective. But then it's expected as a result that the performers take full ownership for delivering their part of the equation, which is elite performance. So having the performers take full accountability for their preparation and their performance is so important. But what I also like about what Bernard said is that they're going that extra step. And ensuring that they all take accountability for their self-reflection. So there's no point coming away from the show and blaming everyone else. We need to ask ourselves, what could I have done differently to ensure a better outcome next time? And you can imagine the coaches taking that line of question. How far did you push yourself tonight? How courageous were you? How well did you connect with your colleagues or how well did you communicate? How well did you connect with the audience? And you know, where could this be tweaked tomorrow before we run this show again to make it even better than it was today? I love that live review and that continual quest for improvement. So I asked Bernard about the style of coaching that was used around these performers and he described an approach based on the origins of where those performers had actually come from in their first careers, which I thought was really interesting.
0: In what we're doing it's more creating an environment than giving specific, specific instruction. In some discipline, yes, it will be very specific um, because the, the performers need to have that specificity to ensure the success or the proper correction. But in general, I would say it's more asking uh, reviewing videos, uh, having them um, do the self-analysis uh, and share with uh, all of the other partners. Uh, they, they debrief on the performance. Um, it's more that approach that is the approach that we, uh, we, uh, we are actually providing. And it's, it's very interesting this question because when we have circus performers coming at Cirque or we have sport people coming at Circ, the circus performers want to be self-directed. They like to have the support of a coach, but it's more self-direction. It's, the coach will not take, uh, let's see, a central uh, role. The circus performers will take the central role. Initially, when we have sport coming in our world, they will sit down and then they will wait and they will ask, well, tell me what to do, which is one of the things that I've changed about 10 years ago when I started the program, which is more an immersion type of program, when I asked my coach and I said, you don't give the answer. You don't respond to that. You You will ask these sport people to do something, and to self-analyze, okay, and then you can enter in a dialogue, but then they have to take a risk, they have to move forward, they have to look at what they're doing and they have to be able to generate, you know, this kind, this, this kind of self-appreciation of what they've done, especially in the artistic uh, uh, activities that we're offering. Uh, and it takes a while so that they understand that our coaches are not there, there to tell them what to do because specifically in some of the acrobatic skills, they know what to do. I mean, we're not going to change that by 50 percent. So they know what to do. But in how they're going to act, uh, be on the stage, then they have to take decision. They have to take risk. They have to venture in areas that they don't know and they have to be able to pose a judgment.
1: As a former professional sportsman, I can totally understand what he's saying. Sport is much more about executing the skill, especially in sports like gymnastics or high board diving, which you can imagine the uh, a lot of the Cirque du Soleil performers coming from. You don't need to smile as you hit the water if you're Tom Daly. But this is something very different. This is being able to execute the skill. Yes, that's a fundamental but also to create a warm, inspiring connection with the audience so that they feel the story that you're beginning to communicate. And Bernard spoke about how the shows are designed to take the audience on an arc of excitement and then through sadness before finishing with a rousing crescendo of joy and celebration. So that emotional journey is critical. And of course, the music and the lighting can help. But the performer's ability to connect emotionally with every one person in their seat is so powerful and I'm sure transformational to the experience. And that's part of the secret of Cirque du Soleil's success. This, after all, is a business that's global and it's been going for decades and generates a billion dollars turnover every year. So let's dig into that secret sauce a bit deeper. And one of the key elements to Cirque du Soleil is their diversity. Bernard and his team have scoured the globe for talent, as he now explains.
0: Currently at Cirque, we have about 45 different nationalities. Um, globally, in, in, in one show, we will probably have around nine or 10 different disciplines. It's fundamental to the, uh, to the culture of Cirque du Soleil and it's being promoted right from the onset, when, when the owner actually created the uh, uh, Cirque du Soleil. For him, uh, nationality is not the point. I mean, uh, talent is everywhere or, uh, uh, you know, people has got an idea or a craft or something. He's looking at that and his is, is, uh, central, let's see, uh, motto is, is, is celebrating human potential and human ability, uh, and our casting department is doing just that. It's going all over the world, it's seeing all of the festival, going to uh, uh, see all of the possible competition and we can, we, can, uh, we can go. So diversity is fundamental because it brings different perspectives how humans can actually uh, develop their potential or an idea. Uh, it's rich also because all of these different perspectives and mentality will offer, um, let's see, color in in a journey of a creation because of their background, their their uh, their uh, culture and so on, and and it's definitely promoted, and in the end, the the whole cast will. Uh, become one group while respecting each other in their own specificity.
1: Wow, 45 nationalities. I don't think there's many businesses that can boast that level of richness in their talent pool. And nine or 10 disciplines, the jugglers, the clowns, the acrobats, the trampoline specialists, creating a melting pot of global talent to celebrate human potential. It's a brilliant story. So diversity is a huge strength. There's ideas, there's experiences, there's history. There are rituals from each country and each uh, culture. There are different dances and celebrations and beliefs. So you can imagine how all of those different elements and components can be brought together into an incredible creative flair. And there's that great final line from Bernard where he says the cast becomes one team While respecting each other as individuals, that's surely got to be the holy grail for all leaders and all team managers that they want everyone to respect individual strengths and preferences and sensitivities and weaknesses, but also come together as one strong team that can, you know, deliver much more than the sum of its parts. I think we've all heard that diversity improves performance in our teams, but we also need to be realistic. Recruiting loads of different stars from all around the world could be a recipe for disaster. You'd get cliques forming with the different language groups, the French Canadians, the Spanish speakers, the Russians, the sports people, or the Chinese acrobats. You can imagine these small splinter groups forming. And, you know, it's not exactly utopia, I'm sure, under the surface as much as we present these high-performing environments. So I was really interested to see what Bernard suggested brought these diverse people together around this shared goal
0: there is always tension uh, the you know there are differences of opinion differences of point of view uh, sometimes when when it's it's tough between uh, members of the same group or between different groups and you know or culture this will happen it's it's human obviously it's not something that we're looking for but it's something that is accepted as part of creating a very diverse group that have fundamental different beliefs the point is is for the director to find a way to bring these people together when come the time of the show to hope to open and to the end and to ensure that this cohesion is for the Putting the best possible show, and it's for the the it's giving the best that 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 can be given by the whole group for the spectator. Uh, but yes, it's not paradise. It's it's a matter of working at that every day with peaks, peaks and and, and valleys and ups and downs and I you don't know. It's 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 not easy. It's not easy. But if if the mission is understood by everybody that the moment the spectator is there, this encounter with the cast and the spectator is the key to the success. When this is understood by everybody, then it's the same mission.
1: So you can imagine this band of high-octane performers staying together for weeks and weeks to deliver multiple shows per day. There's fatigue, there's moods, there's hormones, there's that social contagion that happens within groups. So why do we expect everyone to get on like best mates? We we shouldn't really in our teams. We're not really mates, we're teammates. And when the curtain rises, this is the critical point, when the curtain rises and it's showtime, we all need to play our part, hide those you know, individual differences and those frustrations and those friction points and come together as one team to entertain the crowd. So often it's the customer or the purpose or the mission that we're on or that founding story that's so important to building a shared identity in our team so that everyone can focus on that rather than their own particular agenda. When we think about the impact we have on other people, that's the thing that we all share in this performance environment so i was really keen to hear the founding story some of those factors that were you know part of the storytelling at Cirque du Soleil that that drove that culture and brought everyone together and what bernard had to say was some really powerful words that really created a beautiful image
0: the vision globally uh, you know like it's it's written it's Couple of words. I mean, it's few key words that that are part of of uh, how we do things, or or for which we will refer. Okay, when we do an, a, a new show, we, we will ask ourselves: uh, Do we have a moment that we're provoking the status quo? Do we have a moment that we're we're evoking something? Okay, do we have a a a moment that we we carry the notion of uh, us human being being dreamers, okay? Not uh, d- you know dreamers in the sense, the pure sense of the word. So we will we will go back to these key word and then look at what we propose on the stage and 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 actually uh, reflect on what we're offering or what we are tr- are trying to create. And if it offers this this opportunity, and if and it will generate a lot of debates. That's for sure. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> And, but that's, those are very um, strong and inspiring words. It's summarized with three words. Uh, evoking, uh, invoking, and provoking. Uh, uh, evoking the imagination, uh, invoking senses, and, and provoking. Provoking is, is really part of, of philosophy of is, 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 um is presenting something that will will uh, challenge the status quo, uh, you know, creating that surprise. Uh, so that's part of. Let's see that that mission of who we are and and what the uh, the, the the company uh, promotes. Um, one other thing also that that's very very important in in. Uh, in the Cirque du Soleil, let's see, employees and staff is, is inspire. It's to make sure that what we will present will celebrate the human capacity and and the imagination and then will eventually inspire people to push themselves or to go somewhere else. And when they leave, they they will be uh, fired up with... uh, with that intention to to do something
1: so that's great this provocation of the status quo we don't want people to think the same thing you know after they've been to a Cirque du Soleil show from when they came in so we want to create that sense of being dreamers the shock and awe uh, there are moments of that within a show Maybe there's that ability to evoke strong memories or strong emotions, uh, you know, in the audience, and that invoking the senses. It's almost like a spiritual connection across the audience to something incredible, showing human potential. So their outcomes not on the finances and on ticket sales. It's to inspire people to think that anything is possible and to push themselves in their own lives. That's the purpose of Cirque du Soleil to celebrate human potential. And to get people fired up, and I certainly felt that on the few occasions that I've been. I wanted to jump across the bollards coming out of the car park, but I remembered that I was 50 and not particularly uh, mobile as as I used to be. So not a great idea, but it definitely inspires you to... You know, think about all these incredible traits that humans have got, the creativity, the flexibility, the endurance, the resilience, the collaboration. It's all there in one of the shows and they use these provoke, evoke, invoke uh, and celebrating human potential to wrap around the story and make sure they're present in every one of the shows. So for an organisation that's been successful for decades, these can't be just static ideals or strap lines in a brochure they need to be kept alive through the storytelling, through the purpose, through these examples of the way the show is designed, that they're threads that run through the whole performance. And Bernard explains that there are different phases of innovation for Cirque du Soleil, whether it's a new show that they're starting out with completely you know, brainstorming and, and creative ideas, or whether they're fine tuning a show that's already underway.
0: As if we have a show that is in performance now. Uh, the margin of innovation is very, very small. I mean, it's incremental. Let's see progress in acrobatic. Maybe you know there is a a, a skill or a twist or you know a, a, a somersault or a specific position that will be added o- over over time, or a little bit of a change in the act so that it's sort of refreshed and it, it stays live. So the chances of innovation. On a, on a show in performance is is quite small. Now, a new show calls for uh, a- innovation. And, and this, uh, this we, ad- we address it in, in, in various ways. The first way to address innovation in a new show is to cast people that are offering new performance that we have never seen. That's one way. The other way is to hybrid performances in such a way that it gives, it opens a new door and and a new possibility. Another way is to provide an environment that has never been used as an acrobatic environment before and see what acrobats will do with that kind of environment and what they will come uh, forward with answers and solutions uh, with the director of the show, and the coaches, obviously. So those are all of the possible uh, uh, innovation uh, avenues that we can we can do. And most of the innovation
1: uh, are done when we create the show uh, for the first time. So I suppose many of us in our own businesses and organizations can relate to that. We've got our sort of longer term strategy that we might be able to be creative with, but we've got our projects and plans that are currently in execution that we're just trying to fine tune and optimize. Uh, and there's less innovation that goes with those. But this isn't a directive act of just learning your lines, learning your moves and and sort of following like a robot in some kind of compliant stupor. What we're looking for here is that everyone feels like they've got a chance to add their piece of the story and, you know, getting this bottom-up contribution to our strategies and our vision is so important and Bernard echoes that as well.
0: That's the very interesting thing during the creation. The director will come with ideas but will call for the, 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 the artist and whoever else is contributing as part of the creative team to come up with solutions with new ideas, to build on is, let's see, global vision initially. And and um, when this happened, it's very rich. And when this happens with uh, the artist, it's even better because then it becomes theirs, their way to interpret the, the desire or the vision of the
1: director and, and then to own it at the end. So I think we can all relate to that, you know, even though we might not be expecting cartwheels from our accounts team or contortions from our marketeers. If we involve more people in sharing their ideas that go on to form our strategy or our office design or the way we're going to do hybrid working or whatever it might be, then we're bound to end up with more engagement. It becomes our show, not the show that the bosses have put together and I've got to act out in some kind of compliant manner. So we've got all these talented people coming together from around the world to inspire people and to you know, contribute to this creative act of designing one of the world's best forms of entertainment. And I was really interested in what Bern had reflected on as the key leadership behaviors that were crucial to get people to be at the top of the game and stay at the top of the game for long periods of time.
0: I believe that if I don't carry an attitude... If I if I'm not passionate, if I don't believe, uh, f- then then as a leader I'm not uh, transmitting or creating an, an an environment that will be inspiring, that will call for people to come with me, uh, and then and share the the pain and and the effort to uh, to uh, to get to the success. Um, I think as, as a leader they, they, this, this notion of, of being totally engaged in a success um, and believing in, into it and calling for people to join in, recognizing each and every one contribution, uh, outlining that and at the same time pushing.
1: So as leaders, we need to be energetic to find new ways to engage our people around some of these core fundamentals of high performance, to give them the conditions and the resources to thrive, and then to hold them accountable to those high standards and to each other for putting on a great show. When they do that and perform brilliantly, we should celebrate everyone's gifts and contribution. And then after a pat on the back and some live feedback and improvements, we go again. The show must go on. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you know anyone that loves high performance, then please do share the link in your email or WhatsApp into your group. And uh, if your team meetings are boring, then come over to SportingEdge.com and learn about our keynotes and our digital coaching solutions. They're trusted by many of the world's leading brands, so we'd love to help you. And the best email address to get hold of me with any suggestions for this show or questions is hello at SportingEdge.com. So until next time, thanks for your time with us today. Stay safe and stay away from that trampoline. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this
0: episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.